You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you. I'm Pastor Danny, if you're new to Bayshore, and uh, glad to have you. What a great group we've got today. Lots of, uh, lots of people here and got to meet some great people at the parking lot. So glad you're here today. And I want to begin by saying a big hello to our Femic Island campus and everybody watching there, Pastor Chase and Callie and everybody there. Let's give Femic Island a big hand. So glad to have you guys with us today. They had a great night at worship the other night, Friday night at the Fenwick campus, and just love those guys. They're just doing such a great job. We're so grateful for them, and uh, glad you're here today. It's been, uh, we're in March now, so spring is coming, and great things are happening, and uh, we're glad that you are with us. We are actually finishing up a series today. Uh, we've been doing, actually since January, uh, in the book of First Peter, and it's called Hope for Strugglers, and the book of First Peter is about a group of first century Christians that were living in a secular world. Everybody around them didn't believe what they believed, and they were trying to figure out how to live the Christian life in the midst of a very secular context. And so we had a great time talking in this, uh, in this book and great feedback on the series, and just thank you so much. But today we're going to tackle one more scripture in this. I could probably talk in First Peter for like another six months. I just love this book. Maybe my new favorite book in the New Testament. I just love it so much. Um, but we're going to be looking at uh, what I would consider the most complicated verse in the book uh, or section in the book of First Peter, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit and squeeze some more things out of this book here. For First uh, Peter chapter three verses eighteen through twenty-two is our text today, and it reads this way: For Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. And in only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. And this water symbolizes baptism, that now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers and submission to him. So what a great, great text. It has uh, full of the gospel in this text, so many awesome things. We'll start with verse 18, verse 18, for Christ suffered once for your sins. Uh, and then it says, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Uh, he was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. So that first verse really encapsulates the gospel, what the gospel is all about. Somebody said, it's actually uh, J.M. Ross said, 1 Peter 3.18 is one of the shortest and simplest, yet one of the richest summaries given in the New Testament of the meaning of the cross. So this, this verse really summarizes what salvation is about and how it works and how it functions. And the thing that Peter starts about saying is, he's, he says this, he says, he says, for Christ suffered once for sins. Christ suffered once for sins. You know, Jesus died on the cross. The last thing he said on the cross is, it is finished. He finished the work 
that was planned by his father throughout all the Old Testament. All the prophets spoke about it. And when Jesus died on the cross, he completed, completed the whole process of what is needed for your salvation. So if he completed it, that means there is nothing left to do. There's nothing left to do except to celebrate the goodness of God and how much he loves you and how much he cares about you. So the Christian life is basically a life of celebration, celebrating that what has been accomplished by Jesus has been applied to your life, and you no longer have to stress or worry, are you okay, and are you in right relationship with God? Religion, uh, one pastor said, religion is spelled D-O, do something. You need to do something. You need to do more. But he said, this pastor said, salvation is spelled D-O. O-N-E, done. Salvation is completed. And this verse says Christ died once for sins. Now, we uh, have so many former Catholics in our church, and we love Catholics, and we're not against Catholics. One of the problems that Protestants have with Catholics is this idea that the Mass, that Jesus is perpetually being offered up as a sacrifice. Every time the Eucharist is taken, every time the Mass is celebrated, Christ is, is offered up as a sacrifice once again. But the New Testament says that Jesus Christ died and suffered once for sins. He suffered once for sins. When I was in Bible college back in 1979 through 1981, my uh, church history professor was a guy named Sandy Carsons. Sandy Carsons was this really funny guy, white hair, uh, and the thing about him was he was a former Catholic priest, and so he taught church history from the perspective of once being a Catholic, and now, you know, he found the Lord, got married, had like four kids, and he just had this like, you know, epiphany about what salvation was about, and through that course, he constantly talked about how he thought when he was a priest— that every time he offered Mass, he was reenacting re re the crucifixion of Jesus. And he, just, he had a big problem with that now that he found the Lord. And he said, Jesus was crucified once for our sins, and it's all taken care of. And there's a great verse that supports that in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. It says this, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But this priest, that's speaking of Jesus, but this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin. He sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. By one sacrifice, not a sacrifice over and over again, by one sacrifice, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So this verse says that Christ made one sacrifice and he made perfect forever those that are being made holy. How many know that your righteousness is forever? When you put your faith in Jesus and you believed in him and you knelt before the Lord, or however you prayed that prayer to receive the Lord, your faith was in Jesus, and he made you righteous and perfect forever. He took care of your past sins, your present sins, your future sins, and he made you perfect forever. Say this with me right now. Jesus made me righteous forever. God is not fickle about you. 
You've submitted to the lordship of Jesus. You made him lord of your life. And the New Testament clearly teaches without any doubt that you've been made perfect forever. And it says after Jesus offered his sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. So why did he sit down? He sat down because everything was done. So, you know, I try to help out in the kitchen a little bit with Karen. You know, Karen does all the cooking, and I try to clean up and all that. And I say, hey, you did the cooking. Now I'm going to clean everything up and, you know, put it in smaller bowls and put it in the refrigerator and all that and wipe off the counter and all that. When I get all that done, I go into, into the living room and I sit down. And the reason I sit down is because everything's done. And Jesus sat down because everything was done. And so this verse in 1 Peter really uh, gives this idea of, of what salvation is. For Christ suffered once for sins. Once for sins. It's already done. And so if it's already done, if he's suffered for sins, then there's nothing left for you to do. When I, a uh, few years ago, uh, my son Tim was going to Nicaragua for a uh, surfing trip. And he was going to go by himself. His brother Joel couldn't go. And so Karen's a little worried about him going by himself. And, you know, he's a grown man. But she said, oh, I hate to see him go to Nicaragua by himself. And I said, I'll go. <laughs> I'm all about it. I'm going to go to Nicaragua. So, you know, I, I wish I was a surfer. I have surfing T-shirts. And, and uh, I like the idea of me being a surfer, but I'm not a surfer. So I just wore my surfing T-shirts, and I carried Tim's surfboards, and we went to Nicaragua. We happened to miss our plane, you know, at Dulles, and we had to sleep in the airport overnight. That's a different story, but we ended up getting to Nicaragua, this surf camp, and it was the best vacation I ever had in my life. It was amazing. And the reason it was amazing is there was nothing to do. It was at this surf camp, and they just had all these hammocks hanging everywhere in these, next to these palm trees. And so Tim was surfing all day, and I'm laying in hammocks, and I'm just laying there and reading John Grisham novels. And I'm like, man, this is great. And, and you know, about 1130, I had this big decision to make, and I said, after lunch, what hammock am I going to get in after that? <laughs> There's hammocks everywhere. And so I would sit there and think, well, I think I'm going to go to that hammock after lunch. So I just loved it. I just rested in the hammock because there was nothing to do, and it was awesome. When you think about your attitude toward your Christianity, are you in a hammock or are you on a treadmill where you're like working, laboring, working, laboring, you feel like you got to do more, you can't enjoy your salvation because you're insecure? You know, I grew up Methodist and we, didn't, we were against eternal security. I mean, we were against that. The Baptists believed that. We were against that. We were into internal insecurity. We were into internal insecurity. We were insecure about our faith. I'm here to tell you that Jesus died once for all for your sins. It's all done. And so that's what it's about. And we are sal we've saved through this faith that we have in Christ. So that's what it says in, for Christ suffered once for your sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. That means that we gave our unrighteousness to God. We gave our unrighteousness to Jesus. And in exchange, he gave us his righteousness. If I had a checking account that was empty, I didn't have any money in it, and I'm standing next to a billionaire and his checking account is filled with billions of dollars, I give the billionaire my empty checkbook and he gives me his full checkbook. The righteous for the unrighteous. So salvation is about the great exchange.
God took your unrighteousness, you gave him your unrighteousness, and Jesus gave you his righteousness. That's what it says. The righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, to bring you to God. So our salvation is not simply a technicality where we are not guilty before God in heaven. It is that. If you read Romans chapter 5, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, the word peace there in that, in that context is to be at war with someone. We were once at war with God. We were in rebellion against God. And we've been justified by faith. And so, therefore, in heaven, you're not guilty. See, there's a legal aspect to getting saved and meeting the Lord. If you go to court and the judge declares you not guilty, he hits the gavel and he says, not guilty, that's a status. has nothing to do with how you feel. You can feel guilty and not be guilty. So you're not guilty. If you're a Christian today, you are not guilty. Your status is you are not guilty. But he didn't just save us to give us a legal standing in heaven. It says here that he, he saved us to bring us to God, to bring us to God. This is all about having an intimate relationship with the Lord, having fellowship with Jesus. God has saved you, not simply, you know, this technical term that you're okay, you're going to go to heaven. This heaven thing is all distorted in our thinking. Heaven's great, but God wants you to have heaven on earth where you and I enjoy fellowship with the Lord. I took a long walk yesterday. I don't know how, if you took a walk yesterday, we're outside. I took a walk like 4.30 uh, five o'clock and it was, you know, starting to get, you know, at dusk a little bit and the weather was gorgeous. And I have a little walking stick and I walk three miles and I'm just talking to the Lord the whole time. And I'm coming back, you know, on the backside of my walk. And there was a guy getting his mail and he said, a beautiful night for a walk. And I said, oh man, it's amazing. I just had the best time. And I was walking and I was talking with the Lord and I had fellowship with the Lord, communion with the Lord. You were saved to have fellowship with Jesus, to walk with him, to love him, to serve him, to, to have communion with him, not to just come to church and, and to worship the Lord for a little bit. We worship for, you know, great worship this morning, 10, 15 minutes, however long we worship. But your whole week is about worshiping and talking to the Lord, walking with the Lord. He saved you to bring you to God. And that's a word of intimate fellowship. Romans 8.15 says that spirit comes to convert us so that we are no longer slaves, but we can cry out to him, Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word. It's not Greek, not Hebrew. It's Aramaic. Abba means daddy. It means intimate conversation. It means you, you're, you're like a little boy looking up at his father and says, Father, pick me up. You're called to have intimate communion with your father. He saved you to bring you to God. I grew up in church where it's like I, every sermon I heard, all the evangelists that came and all the revivals was all about get saved so you can go there. Get saved so you can go to heaven so you can't go to the, you won't go to the other place and can talk about that at a different time. I was, that's what it was about for me. It was about destination. It was about booking a motel. But it's not about booking a motel. It's not about having reservations in heaven. It's about right now walking with the Lord and enjoying the Lord and having intimacy with the Lord now. He saved us to bring us to God. 
When I was uh, growing up, my dad was a pastor, um, and, and when I was after 12, I, that's when he became a pastor, when I was 12 years old. And uh, when I was a freshman in high school, he pastored in Blades, Delaware, which is a little suburb of Seaford, uh, western side of the county. If you're new to our community, you may not know where that is. There's another side of the county over there called West, West Sussex. And... Uh, so I lived in Blaze, and Blaze wasn't, you know, Blaze was Blaze, and then there was Seaford. Seaford was a little more up class than Blaze, you know, and Blaze was, was here, was south, and there was the Nanticoke River that separates Blaze from Seaford, and you got the Nanticoke Hospital, now Title Health or whatever. And my buddy, my best friend in high school was Sammy Fisher. He lived on Front Street, which was in Seaford, and I lived in Blaze. So on Saturday night, the phone would ring at the parsonage. Now, now here's something for us to think about. Just if you're young here, I want you to think about this. In my day, when I was in high school, when the phone rang, you had to go and pick up something off the wall. It wasn't in your pocket. How many are old enough to remember when you had to get up and answer the phone and it had a cord? And if you were really, yeah, how many ever had that long cord? You could take that long cord, you could take it up in another room, you know, that cord went everywhere. So my mom answered the phone, she said, Sammy, and I'd go talk to, to Sammy on the phone, and Sammy says, How about if we meet at the bridge? I said, All right, man. So I'd get my basketball, I'd start bouncing the basketball, walking up. Maybe it was like two-thirds of a mile, maybe a mile. Walk up there, and we met on the Blades Causeway Bridge. Sammy came from Seaford, Front Street. He walked south. I walked north, and we met on the bridge, and we just bounced the basketball, talk over the Nanticoke River. We hang out there. One of my best friends in life. And when you and I meet the Lord and we come to the Lord, the cross is a bridge where God comes from his righteous state and we come from our unrighteous state and we come to that cross and we have fellowship and we have intimate communion with the Lord. So we're saved by faith and as we're saved by faith, that faith brings us to God, the righteous for the unrighteous. So this week, here's your assignment. This week, this week, you know, you did your church thing. You've been to church today, and it's, it's going to be great. It is great. We love being here, and we want to be here again next week. Next week, we have an amazing service plan. But when you leave here, let this be the springboard of your intimacy with the Lord this week. Turn the radio off sometimes. Just talk to Jesus while you're riding down the road. Take a walk and just spend time talking to him. How, tell him how much you love him. Then we get to this really tricky part of the, of the uh, verse. Verse 19, after being made alive, uh, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently as in the days of Noah while the ark was being built in it. Only a few were saved, eight in all, and were saved by the water. Now this is... Someone said this is probably the most complicated verse in the New Testament. What does this mean? After he was, after he was made alive, he went to the prisons, uh, went, to, went to the prison and proclaimed to the spirits that were in prison. So if you ever read in your devotions, you get to that and you say, you know, you just kind of like your eyes glaze over. Don't know what that means, you know, that's really odd. 
And we're not going to spend a lot of time on that, but, you know, one of the, one of the theories is, and I'm not going to bore you with all the theories, but one of the theories is, is that Jesus was inside of Noah. He had anointed Noah, and when Noah was preaching to the, uh, the people in his day that were, you know, were evil and rebellious while he, Noah was building the ark, that Jesus was in him in Noah preaching to these unsaved, disobedient people that they, could, they needed to repent and come into the faith. That's one of the theories. I like that theory, but it's probably not true. It's probably not what it's about. It's, it's, it's more complicated than that. What it says, I think, is when Jesus died on the cross, between the time he was in the, on the cross and he was put in the grave and before he was raised on Easter, that he went to the spirits in prison. He went to Hades and he proclaimed to the disobedient angels that fell from God's authority in heaven, and he proclaimed that salvation has been accomplished. And there's a, interesting, there's a lot of interesting scriptures on that, and let me read you a couple just real quickly, and you can just do your work on this later. But here's what it says here, that there was a number of uh, incidences where these angels are mentioned here. If I can find them here, here we go. Second Peter, First Peter, here we go. I'm trying to find it here. Talk among yourselves as I look for this scripture. Okay, here we go. Second Peter 2, 4 through 5. This is Second Peter, and this is talking about the same thing. Second Peter, for if God did not spare the angels when they sinned and sent them to hell putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on the ungodly people, but protected Noah, preacher of righteousness. So God, in this verse, talks about angels that had sinned being placed in prison or in hell. So that's what 1 Peter's talking about. And then it says in Jude, here's another verse that supports it. Jude 6 says, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change for judgment in the great day. So the bottom line is, Genesis chapter 6 talks about these angels that see the, uh, the daughters of men and they're beautiful and they lust after the daughters of men and they cohabitate with these daughters of men and they create these giants on the earth and they're judged because they, they, they cross the line, they're placed into Hades and when Jesus, between his death and his resurrection, Jesus goes into Hades and he declares that God has accomplished his salvation. It was a declaration of victory. So I think that's what it means. Now you say, well, what good does that help me with? And we could talk about it. If you want to talk in the lobby about it, I'll talk to you a whole bunch about this. I read a bunch of stuff about it. But here's, what good does that do us? Now here's the application, I think. The application is, what do we think Jesus was doing between his death on the cross and the resurrection, was he in sort of a, a state of nothingness? Was he in sort of a, a coma, spiritual coma? Or was he doing something? Well, I think what it means is, is that Jesus was actively on a divine mission 
after he died. And here's the thing. The application is, is that when we lose a loved one, we lose someone that loves Jesus, that has gone to heaven. And let me ask you here this morning, everybody in Femicale and everybody here, how many have lost somebody close to you that loved Jesus that you really miss? And you, there's somebody in your family you miss. Here, look at this. Hands all over here. We all have that. I lost my mom about four years ago. So let me ask you this. What are people that are, have gone to the, be with the Lord? The Bible says to be absent of the body, to be present with the Lord. What are they doing now? What are they doing now? I believe that they're doing something. I don't believe my mom is on a, on a cloud playing a harp. That lasted about five minutes for her. I believe that she has a mission, that she's doing something. I don't believe our departed loved ones are bored I believe that they have something that they're doing. And the Bible says in Philippians to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. And when a person that knows Jesus leaves this planet and they, they go to heaven, I believe that there is something that they're doing. They're not just sitting around twiddling their thumbs and God has a divine occupation for them to do. So that's helpful to me. That's what I see the application of that being. And then... In this passage, Peter talks about the ark, and he compares salvation to the ark. And I want you to think about the ark that's found in the book of Genesis, the ark that Noah built, that it's a symbol of divine salvation. It's a symbol of salvation. Now, here's the thing about the ark. The ark is you have people that are in the ark, and you have people that are not in the ark. So you have two categories. You have inside the ark equals salvation. Outside the ark equals judgment. The ark is a symbol of Jesus. So when you think about what the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches this clearly, that there's a, 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 a either in the ark or an out-of-the-ark concept. Out-of-the-ark is where the flood is, where the judgment is, in the ark is where there is safety and salvation. There was one door in the ark. When Noah constructed the ark, there was one door in the ark. And the ark represents, it's a type of Jesus. So how are we protected from the justice and judgment of God? Noah, a preacher of righteousness, preached. He preached. The door was there. Noah goes in the ark. And he's in the ark for seven days. He doesn't shut the door. He sits in the ark. He's in God's provision of salvation. And then after seven days, God himself shuts the door on the ark. And indicating that there is a moment in time where God's grace is here, God's love is here, God's speaking to us about repentance, God's calling us to receive Jesus, to get in the ark. And then there comes that moment where he shuts the door on the ark. So that, that's that sense of urgency that's in, in the story. And so the ark represents it. Let me just uh, read you a couple of verses here on this. Um, when you think about being uh, in the ark, that is uh, that we're in Christ. There's a, uh, there's a phrase that's always talking about us being in Christ. Here it is here. Okay, so uh, everybody say the, uh, say the word in. Say it right now. One, two, three. 
in. Okay, you're in or you're out. That sounds pretty exclusive language. But the Bible teaches that, that to find salvation, we're in Christ. Just the way Noah was in the ark. Noah was in the ark. And listen to these verses. Um, 2 Timothy 1.9. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So you've got the language in Christ, in Christ. Just the way Noah was in the ark, you're in Christ. You're in Christ. And it's in Christ that you're protected from the judgment of God that is outside of the, of the ark. Then, verse, uh, then we have Ephesians 1.4. I want you to look at the word in again. Ephesians 1.4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight and love. And then Ephesians 1.7, look at this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with his riches of God's grace. And then 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This verse, in fact, I want us to read this verse out loud, 2 Corinthians 5.21. We'll put it on the screens. I want you to read it with me, and I want you to emphasize in him when we read this. Everybody ready? One, two, three. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you've got in the ark and you've got out the ark. And Noah is used in Peter's example here as an illustration of, of, of uh, how we find salvation. Salvation is in Jesus. We're either in Jesus or we're not in Jesus. So when you receive Christ, you became in Jesus. You're in the ark. You're in the safety of God's provision and grace. So last thing we want to talk about is Peter talks about this, the ark being a type of baptism, the ark being a type of water baptism. And we're going to be having a water baptism on March 27th. And so I wanted to talk about this a little bit today. Uh, he talks about the ark being a type, a symbol of water baptism. So let's think about what that means. Water baptism. Here's the thing. Here's what's wrong with our thinking about water baptism. This is so true. Our deal is we have this fear that we better check all the boxes so we will go to heaven so we get water baptized so when people get water baptized here at Bayshore and different places I'm so excited we're always so excited big celebration I know in their head there's a little bit of this got that checked off want to make sure I don't want to leave any stone unturned want to make sure I got it checked off that's not at all what water baptism is about Karen, uh, Karen and I, when our kids were growing up, I used to take the boys to Orioles games, you know, when Cal Ripken was playing. And I don't remember how old the boys were, but one, one day uh, we were going to Orioles game and our, our good friends, Tom and June Taylor, their boys and Tom and his boys were going with, with Tim, Joel and I. So I go to pick up our good friends uh, and we go and we get in the car. We're going to drive to Baltimore to Orioles game. 
And as we're in the car in Tom's driveway, I said, Tom, do you have the tickets? Do you have your tickets? He said, oh, no, I don't have the tickets. So he went in the house, and he's looking for the tickets. And he couldn't find the tickets. He's pulling, he's pulling out the, the drawers everywhere. He's looking everywhere for the tickets. And he can't find the tickets. And time's ticking. We've got to get to Baltimore. And Tim said, Dad, how long do we have to wait for him, you know? I said, son, these are our friends. And I'm thinking, how long do we have to wait for him? I don't know. <laughs> how long do we have to wait for him? Joel said, pulling that, Dad, we're going to miss the game. I'm thinking, how long do we have to wait for him? They didn't have the tickets. They didn't have the tickets to get into the gate. Well, thank God. June came home, and I think she found the tickets, and all was saved, and we got to the Orioles game. So when people get baptized, they're thinking, do I have the ticket? Do I have the ticket? I want to make sure I got the ticket. I want to make sure I got all my, my, my things are covered. I hope everything is covered. Listen to this. Baptism has nothing to do with heaven. It has nothing to do with you going to heaven. It has to do with how you live for the Lord here on the earth. Baptism is not something you check off and forget. Baptism is something that you do and you constantly refer to. So when Noah was in the ark, he's in the ark. It was a type of Jesus. He's in the ark. The people are in the ark. And what's under the water? Under water is all the sin, all the rebellion, all the adultery, all the promiscuity, all the evil was under the water. And they were above the water. They were living above the evil. They were living above the wickedness and the rebellion and the sin and all the things that were under the water. So under the water, when you go down under the water, all the evil, all the sin, all the wickedness, all the waywardness, all the selfishness, all the, all the jealousy, all the pride, all the bad side of you, the old man of you, the old woman of you is placed under the water and you come up and you live above the water. Now, you think about uh, another story that illustrates this, this really well. is in Exodus chapter 14 where the children of Israel have left the, the Egypt. The blood has been on the doorpost. They're leaving Egypt and they're, they're coming and they get to the Red Sea or the Reed Sea. And it says the chariots and Pharaoh and his army followed and pursued pursued uh, the children of Israel and pursued them and went after them. When you become a Christian and you start following Jesus and you put your faith in the Lord and you start to move in a different direction, those old chariots, your lust, your anger, your selfishness, your jealousy, those chariots are following you. They're chasing you. And you get to the water, they get to the water, and the Lord opens the water. And Moses and the Israelites walk through on dry ground. And those old chariots that used to rule over them, that used to be the army of Egypt, that ruled over them and kept them in bondage, those old bondage masters were in the water, and the water collapsed on them. And destroyed their old masters. So your baptism, when you're water baptized, 
those old habits, those old parts of your old nature, your old man, your old person that's following you, it's placed under the water in a grave. And you come up out of the water just as the Israelites came on the other side to a new life. And you come to a new life. It has nothing to do with you going to heaven. It has to do with you serving Jesus on the earth. And what did the children of Israel do in the story after the water collapsed and destroyed all the chariots and all the um, taskmasters of their past? They stood on the shore and they looked at the dead Egyptians. They reflected on what happened. They celebrated. Miriam danced with a tambourine and led the people of Israel on a dance. They celebrated that the things that used to rule over them are now subdued under the water. So when you're baptized, it becomes that reference point. You get up, and I, I thought about my baptism this week, and I, I don't want to presume anything but did anybody this week in this crowd have any moment where your dark side started to emerge a little bit did anybody just raise your hand if there's something in your flesh that came up this week maybe somebody did some of the work and somebody cut you off something happened and there was like ooh, that old man came and i had this week i had to I, I stopped and i thought i thought that i saw that old man emerge and i thought about my baptism I thought about that thing that tried to stick up its ugly head, and I remembered that there's a floating corpse in the Red Sea, that that was buried in my baptism. That's a part of my past, and that's been taken care of. So I wanted to do a little illustration this morning to help you understand what baptism is before we, we close the service today. And I'm going to ask Corey to come up here, Corey Phoebus and... Uh, and uh, Justin Gillette, they're going to come up here. And uh, if you love Corey, appreciate his worship leading, would you give him a big hand right now? Any other blessing? Okay. So Corey, Corey is my old nature here. Look at him, you know. Corey's my old nature. And I'm going to put that on right there. That feel good? Okay, I'm going to put it on me. So... When I met the Lord, I met the, when I meet the Lord, I just I got my old nature still clinging to me here. You know, he's like bothering me. I'm trying to serve Jesus and the old anger, the old frustration pulling at me and all that. And I'm like, that old nature has really bothered me. It's with me. I want to serve Jesus, but I got this old nature. And wherever I go, this old nature is with me. You know, I'm like, man, this is getting old. Man, I'm trying to serve the Lord to come to church on Sunday, and the old nature is ripping on me all week long, and I had a bad time. I didn't do right. Got the old nature always with me, you know. And it's the old nature, it's the same thing all the time. And he's pulling at me, and I'm pulling at him, you know. But then when I get baptized, my baptism comes in the baptism is God's way of severing my old nature from me. It's on the other side. <laughs> we didn't practice this a lot. You know how to take these off, right? The old nature is gone. And so I celebrate. Now here's my baptism. But Justin, come here a minute, Justin. 
Justin, when I think about my old nature's gone, whenever that old nature tries to come back, I just look at my baptism. I look at it. I think about it. Hey, man, you set me free. I think about my baptism. My baptism is the closing of the Red Sea over what used to rule over me. My baptism is me being set free from my old sin nature. And I'm telling you what, you are one fine baptism. So give Justin a big hand there. Hey, can you take this off before you leave? So anyhow, I don't know what the symbolism of the uh, handcuff still in here. There we go. There we go. So I want you to do uh, something as we close this morning. How many here have been water baptized? You've been water baptized. Would you lift your hands up? Wave, raise your hand real high. I want you to lift your hands up right now, and I want you to think about, think about your baptism. I want you to say, Lord, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Galatians 2.20. Romans 6 says, having been buried with baptism and baptism, I now rise to the newness of life. We don't let the old stuff rule over us anymore. We don't let the dark stuff rule over us anymore. We've been baptized. We buried our old nature. Now, Father, I pray that you'll make our baptism a reality to us every week, that we've been called to live a new life, a holy life, a life of freedom, a life of liberty. So, Father, we thank you for setting us free setting us free. Say, just pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that what I used to be has been buried in the bottom of the sea. I stand on the shore living a new life in the righteousness of Jesus. Now, Father, we pray for people that need to be baptized on the 27th. We pray that you'll help them today to sign up and Get, uh, get engaged in, in this new process you have for them. We thank you for calling us to liberty and freedom. And we thank you for your wonderful love you have for us in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.